has anybody in the history ever lost their opening press conference? Everybody always seems to win their opening press conference. What happens from there, you know, anything can happen, but uh, I don't think anybody in the history of press conference ever lost their opening press conference. If they did, maybe it was, you know, Billy Martin and he got fired the next day. So we'll talk about Stephen Vogt's opening press conference. The Guardians started to fill out their coaching staff and uh, the Arizona Fall League wrapped up. A lot of fun stuff to talk about from there on today's Lockdown Guardians. You are Locked On Guardians, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Guardians, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lockdown Guardians. I want to thank you for making Lockdown Guardians your first listen today and every day, wherever it is you get podcasts. And I want to say today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50-plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. Uh, on a personal note, I want to shout out uh, my dad for his 72nd birthday. I did an interview with him a few years ago. You can go find that um, in the, the listing of podcasts if you want to dig in the past. Uh, that's where I found out his favorite player was, was Woody Held as a kid. Nice. Happy birthday to your dad. That's good. 72 strong years. Well, maybe maybe when uh, Stephen Vogt turns 72, the Guardians will retire number 12. How about that, by the way? We've gone from Prince. I, I don't know who had number 12 when Lindor left, but we went from number 12 on Lindor to number 12 to David Fry this last season, and now it's on Stephen Vogt. There's going to be it's going to come a day where they're going to have to, to talk about number 12 at some point and discuss the realities of that. I know he left on, on sour terms, but very interesting to, to go down that road to give Stephen vote, uh, to give David Fry number 12 and Stephen vote number 12, but guardians introduced him as their manager on Friday. And it's the, the, I don't know if anybody listened, but the, the press conference sounded like it went great. I mean, I didn't expect it not to sound great. Like I said, in the opening, if you don't win your opening press conference, that's that's a problem, right? Like you should sound like you quote unquote. I, that's what I always say about the Browns. Like everyone's like, oh, the they won the press conference, and that was the that's the thing the Browns are so good at is winning the press conference and not to, you know, step on their good game on Sunday. But that's always something I used to to dog them for. And I don't, I, you know, there's going to be a honeymoon period with Stephen Vogt anyway. I think they're already in it. And I mean, but if you don't win your opening press conference, that generally is not a good sign, right? Like if you don't come away from those press conferences thinking like, all right, things are good. This is, this is a smart hire. I think this is going to go well. Like if you don't feel positivity after the opening press conference, something's wrong, right? Like that means there's a, that's a bad vibe. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the other team that comes to mind for me with that of late is since I don't really pay attention to football is uh, the Columbus blue jackets and just watching them, you know, oh, they've done all these great maneuvers. They have so much depth. And it just reminds me of like when people get excited about some of like, you know, Cleveland's outfield depth. And it's like it's not really depth if it's all mediocre or slightly, you know, average to below average. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, winning the press conference, I actually tried to look very quickly when you said that and like, OK, where are examples of someone losing that press conference? Because I figure someone had to document it if it happened. But uh, I couldn't find any, so it really hasn't happened. Uh, it did feel like, you know, the, I, I, so I, I'm just gonna be perfectly honest. Friday was ridiculousness at work. 
and I didn't get a chance to listen. And then the weekend I take time for my family and don't really, I, I step away from baseball for the most part. Uh, so yeah, I, I stepped away and didn't get too involved in this one. It's going to be Justin's thoughts. I'm going to get to hear it fresh, his thoughts and ideas, and then I'll get kind of a chance to react, right? I'll get a chance to see if anything stands out from this. Uh, I think I was more blown away by the addition of, of Craig Albernez than anything else over the last few days. I was too. I was very blown away by that addition. That was, that was wonderful to hear. If you've listened to our past podcast on, on uh, them interviewing Craig Albernez, you can go back and, and listen to my, my personal experience with Craig Albernez. And your first time meeting new guardians coach. Yeah. We'll get into that. Who is, he is the field coordinator. We're going to get into that too. Uh, I, I was really glad though, that Cleveland, not even just Stephen Vogt related, but I was glad that Cleveland shared a little bit of its process in, into the situation. Cause that's what I was really most interested in. I was curious to see, how this played out, what they thought was important. And of course, they stressed all the things they talked about with, with Terry Francona, right? Collaboration, communication, and uh, leading the team, and all this other stuff, being a good steward of, of the franchise. Because you know, the other thing of this, too, is is you know 90% of the time, the guy in front of the camera is going to be the manager. It's not the GM. It's not the owner. Although I will say, compared to other organizations, I feel like Antonetti and the other guys are good about good doing some interviews, whether it's weekly or bi-weekly, because there are some GMs and, and owners that just don't get, I mean, let's be honest here. Nobody wants Cleveland's owners getting in front of a camera. We've, we've been down that road. It never ends well. Don't, we don't want go that. Well. It doesn't yeah, go as let, bad as it has for the, uh, the Reds or the Orioles, but let's, let's be honest. It, it goes pretty poorly. Yeah. When, when those yeah. But unless you put a billionaire who's, unless you put a billionaire who's out of touch with things. Yeah. You don't want, you don't want that anyway. So, the first thing I, I noticed, I think um, Mike Chernoff said this, not Chris Anthony, but he said that over 50 people in the organization were involved in the process, and that included front office members. It included players, they mentioned. It included um, field staff, so other coachings on, on the field. It included uh, research and development, all, all these elements. So they included a lot of people in this process. I thought that was interesting, just that you know they're getting as many voices as they can in there, and I also think it's good they talk to the players because I, I don't know. Maybe it's a more modern thing to do that, but at the end of the day, like it's hard. It, I think it's hard to do that because, you know, especially in Cleveland, you don't have a whole lot of guys. Like I, I would obviously imagine they would talk to Jose Ramirez about whoever they're hiring, but outside of that, like maybe maybe Andre Jimenez, I don't know. But you know, you, these guys, you're hoping that Stephen votes here for a long time because things are going well, and he outlasts because you know Terry Francona was here for 11 years, and there's a lot of guys who who were young players in 2013 that are no longer playing. So you hope Stephen Vogt outlasts some of these guys, but naturally he's going to, because you know, a lot of guys do not finish their careers in one with one team. So it's interesting to get input from players, but you also want that perspective too. And this is a young team. So I do like that. They had a lot of, a lot of people involved here. It just kind of blew my mind that they, he said over 50 people from the organization were involved in the process. It doesn't line up with what we talked about, which is the holistic approach, right? That this is, you know, top to bottom, that it's not just, hey, here's the manager. He's going to pick his, his coaches. He's going to pick a squad. He's going to be in charge. We we give him players and, you know, he puts it together. I, it takes me back to being a preteen and reading a, oh, Tim Green's book about a football. He talked about how there are GMs and coaches and it's like buying ingredients and cooking. Uh, so, you know, it's like the ones that work together, if they don't work well, then it's hard to do both at the same time, but like, you know, it's not this idea that one side is just getting the ingredients and then it's hands off. It's it. We know under Terry 
that everyone was collaborative that it was a huge collaborative process and i think again they go and add some like vote to to continue that that they feel like that this is a situation where they can continue that collaborative process that holistic approach top to bottom uh which you know i mean why do they always get rated for coaches because they do a good job of giving coaches opportunities to be successful finding their ability and then finding candidates that way and this is also not Stephen vote related to but i found this interesting that Mike Chernoff took a moment to single out Matt Foreman, who was there, one of their assistant GMs alongside James Harris, about his involvement in the process. And he said that Matt Foreman had a very um, extensive leadership role in the, in the process of hiring a manager. So I thought that was interesting that he singled out Matt Foreman from the staff. That I think that says a lot. And I also think that makes me kind of wonder um, if he's going to be on the track to either be a GM or get poached away soon. I mean, we think James Harris at some point is going to get poached away, but I'm surprised he already hasn't, but I thought it was interesting that he singled out Matt Foreman and also that they, that's the same thing you're talking about too. They empower a lot of guys in there, a lot of people who work for them to go out and do these things and leading on Matt Foreman or having him kind of lead the charge. I'm, I'm very curious to see what that leads to for Matt Foreman, whether that's, you know, somebody interviewing him for a GM job somewhere else or, you know, if there's a president of baseball operations job out there that, that maybe Mike Chernoff wants and goes after and, you know, they promote Matt, Matt Foreman in his stead because he's the guy who rose up the ranks too. But that's not really Stephen Vogt related. We can continue the conversation about Stephen Vogt because I've got a lot more things uh, that I wrote down throughout the press conference that I found interesting. And I think, uh, man, it's going to be so hard. It's not fair, but it's going to be so hard not to draw comparisons to Terry Francona in a lot of ways just from the press conference and the personalities and the fact that he's following him. Like, I think we, you want to avoid that at all costs, but there are some things that, that do stand out here. So I'd love to talk yes. about those Agreed. in just a second, Jeff. But first let's talk about our good friends over at Jace. We spend a lot of time together talking you and I, we get fired up on wins and losses who starts and who sits. And I'm thankful for the connection we have. Today, I want our chat to be a little more personal. I just learned that you can get a one-year supply on ED medications. You realize what that means? Bring on extended travel, bring on natural, the next natural disaster or supply chain issue you are covered, my friend. You don't have to worry about whether or not you can refill your generics for Cialis, Viagra, or Rivato prescription. And this is possible because of our friends at Jace Medical. Go online right now at jacemedical.com to receive your 12-month supply on your daily medication. Remember to use the promo code LOCKDOWN at checkout for a discount as well. A verified customer had this to say about Jace. I'm thankful for the service. Supply chain issues caused me to cut pills in half to have it. I order most of my daily meds with a year's supply. I also ordered the antibiotic kit. I feel secure now. Prices are lower than local pharmacies. I highly recommend this to everyone. If you or someone you love would like peace of mind by having a full year supply of any daily med, go to jacemedical.com to see if it's offered. Remember to use the promo code LOCKEDON for $20 off your purchase. No, no uh, serious XM spiel, but you know what? The winter meetings are one, two, three weeks away. I know they'll be there. So uh, when the winter meetings get here, you definitely want to tune in to all that good stuff. So the other stuff I found interesting from from the Stephen Vogt press conference too was, you know, he made the he made the Steve. There was a uh, Chris Farley reference to Tom Withers asking a question about Van down by the river and funny other stuff too because he does have that funny impression out there of Chris Farley that I thought I thought was interesting. But, you know, it's stuff like that. It's it's that. It's the fact that he was shoveling horse manure when he got the call 
to find out he was the manager. Like he got the job and he was trying to figure out how to pass the time waiting for them to call and make their decision. Like as we all do, right? As, as yes, as we all do, you know, I, and, and we all have horse horse barns and we all are shoveling, you know, we are all shoveling <laughs> metaphorical horse manure every day at our jobs. Let's just be honest about that. This is, uh, <laughs> this is very true. Um, but you know, it's those kind of anecdotes, right? It's that it's the, it's the Chris Farley impression. It's the, it's the shoveling horse manure, you know, and when he's waiting to hear something about, about the team, like those are the kind of funny anecdotal, anecdotal stories that Terry Francona was very good at. Right. And he talked about a lot of the same things like uh clubhouse, like wanting to know what they need, what they want, the players want from a coaching staff, just talking about being a player's manager, um, and working for them. And, you know, a lot of this stuff just really makes you feel like there are, there are some very Terry Francona like qualities to Steven vote. And I think it's unfair if we ever compare them to them. And he even said like, so if you didn't listen to the press conference, he talked about, yes, he talked to Terry Francona throughout the process. Um, obviously Tito, you know, told him either way, this is not, he's not getting involved. He's just giving him an honest review of the organization and the people, all that kind of stuff. So it wasn't necessarily anything like that, but vote even said like, you know, you can't fill those shoes and, and, you know, we can go back and forth all day and, and argue about some semantics about Francona. But we, as we said, multiple times on here is, you know, it's the behind the scenes stuff that, that matters the most. Whether or not, whether or not Daniel Dale Santos comes in in the sixth inning and with the bases loaded and he, and he strikes out the side or he walks two guys, he goes up a grand slam. Like you can argue whether or not Daniel Dale Santos was the right call, but at the end of the day, like players are going to perform how they're going to perform. A lot of times, it's really about communicating to these guys when they're coming in. If you're cha- if you're changing someone's role, like hey, you could expect to come in the eighth and day instead of the sixth. It's about you know communicating them that change or that, that possible move and getting them to buy into why you're doing it. But that that's, you know, part of the job now. It's not necessarily, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. It just, there's so many comparisons. So he said, you know, you can't, it's hard to fill those shoes. You can't do it. Understands it's got to be his own manager. And I, I'm sure there's going to be moments where people compare the two. Um, but, you know, it is hard not to draw some comparisons when you hear Stephen vote talk and you hear about his history a little bit and, and, everything he went through to become a manager and just the, the personality he has, like there, there are a lot of comparisons and, you know, fair or not, I would say. Yeah, no. And it's, I think it's kind of that whole idea of being very personable, being kind of like in touch with the players, but also being someone who can be humorous, who can be disarming with that humor and how we've kind of seen uh, Terry be that disarming presence where, you know, when we had Andre on the show a year ago and he talked about how it always seems to be that the ridiculous things that happen with him always seem to happen when there's something to be you know, avoided. Yeah, so it's like, I'll be curious to see how it progresses with uh, with um, with a vote in this situation and how similar it is or if it's you know the degrees of difference. But yes, I, 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 while not comparing them, I think there is grounds for like, uh, similar personalities, maybe. Yeah, the personalities are very similar. I mean, he's uh, the one thing he said too was that he learned from Bob Melvin to know that one of the things he learned about managing, and you know, we talked about his inexperience, and and he's going to have to do some learning in situations. He's going to react to different things differently, and 
there's going to be a lot of on the job learning, obviously. And, and, but I think there's a lot of stuff that he'll do very well that it's going to be very natural. Like the things you're going to, have to find out, I think are the Terry Francona moments, like you said, where he was able to say the right thing at the right time because he knew what the situation needed, whether it was a distraction or a funny story or, you know, whatever he knew from experience what to say in the moment. Right. He knew, he knew the moments to say it in and that, that part takes experience, I think. But Stephen votes also got the personality where I feel like he's going to figure that out pretty quick. If he already doesn't know it. But one of the things he talked about too, is, is he's been learning about coaching. Like, you know, there's one thing you actually have to get in there and do it right. You can't just, you can't simulate coaching, I guess you can, you know, there, there was talks about how he would have conversations with players in tough moments because he thought his teammates would find it better coming from him. And it was good practice for him, all that stuff. Maybe that stuff works. Maybe it doesn't, but you know, he, he talked about how in Tampa Bay, when he got hurt in 2009, he thought he was, his career was going to be over because of, his, of a shoulder injury and how he was starting to learn about coaching and what he needed to know about that. And he was trying to get involved that way and how much he thought that prepared for him for it. Um, and then he said, talked about learning from Bob Melvin too, as one of the guys he, he talked about as kind of a coaching mentor. And one of the things he told him too, was getting to know your people and um, what makes it, how to, how to communicate with them. Cause you know, you can't communicate with people the same way. Everybody's different. Um, you know, it's gone, gone are the days when you just kind of have to throw out a blanket statement to everybody. And it's the same thing with coaching, right. And development, like everything's not cookie cutter. You can't, or everything, you can't just teach everybody the same way. Everybody's unique. There's a lot of individual personalities. So you've got to know how to communicate to players individually. You can't just, you know, expect everybody's going to read you the same way or react, you know, need to be coached or talked to the same way. So getting to know your guys too. But I thought that was interesting. So he's new to managing, but I feel like there's just a lot of stuff that he has been thinking about for years and maybe has, has some stuff we don't realize that he has been working, he's worked on that, are going to help him from day one, even if they're not, you know, tactical related. Cause how much, how much tactical is really going to impact this team. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it, and how much of a, I do wonder what the current setup and some of the things like you and I discussed um, off air, like how much of the tactical is going to be, you know, when it comes to like the pitching side of it, the hitting side of it, like those, like our, our guys, like, you know, Wiley, and Valeka going to have some more responsibilities. Is oh, back in time be... again with, with Mark Wiley, huh? Again, man, I am focused <laughs> on Mark Wiley. I keep wanting to go all the way back to him. I, I just, I, I cannot uh, keep our pitching coaches straight. But you know, like, is there going to be more responsibility on them? How much is, um, you know, it, how much will be directly on him to start, and how much is going to kind of be, uh, you know, on all the various coaches to kind of focus in on those areas that they are. Um, I want to say, you know, the, the, there's their focus with this organization. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. The staff is going to be a lot of the same. There's going to be some differences. The, the coaching, how they're filling out the coaching staff has been very interesting to me. I, there's a lot more I'd love to get into from the vote presser um, specifically, but I don't know. I, I did come away. Like I said, you shouldn't be able you shouldn't lose a press conference. And one of these things, like, I don't you know, like I said, you couldn't really find an example of it, but you shouldn't, lose a press conference and there should always be the honeymoon period. Um, but like I said, at the end of the day, I feel like a lot of the stuff you hear there, there is some similarities to Francona, but also 
I really like getting the insight insights that the, I'm sure there's a lot more we didn't learn, but they talked about having like 20 hours over 20 hours of conversation with vote between the interviews and things like that. And, and how much time they spent with him uh, leading up to the, the decision-making process. Those are all good things to hear. And um, just, just the experience he has and how this is going to, how this is going to play out. I mean, it's going to, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, I think a lot of the things he already brings to the table are going to help him from day one. And the tactical stuff will just have to come on the job and, and the information he's given to him. And that's why the guardians also are maintaining a very experienced staff. We're going to take a look at that staff here in just a moment. All right. Well, Jeff already mentioned Craig Albert has, uh, you want you want to start with who's coming back, or do you want to start with Craig Albert? Well, 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 Mark Wiley's coming back, and gosh, what happened to Carl Willis? I mean, Mark Wiley's got to be. I know, I know, Carl Willis is up there in age, but I think Mark Wiley's got to be a little bit older. Am I wrong? Yes, yes, no. And we had this discussion the last time. I for some reason messed this mm-hmm. whole thing up and talked about the uh, you know the wrong manager, but it it's uh, I don't know it, it, it that we have those two staying on in their roles. We don't know about bench coach yet. We're kind of waiting mm-hmm. to see, right? Should we address the elephant in the room that maybe their Marlo Hale is not happy about feeling like he got passed over. Yeah. I'll be curious to see what comes out about that. What happens there? I mean, the, the reports out there suggest that Marlo Hale wanted the job and I don't think he there's been no confirmation or denial whether or not he interviewed for it or not. So I'm not really sure what happened there, but uh, I have seen words uh, put to pay digital ink that said that he was hoping to uh, succeed Terry Francona. And that obviously didn't happen. And Cleveland has said they want him back. And it makes sense too, because he is going, I mean, votes going to need a more experienced staff yes, uh, at his side. Coach. Yeah. And that's, that's fine. I mean, again, manager is such a different, role now than it ever used to be and i've seen people you know kind of hate rail on the idea of hiring someone with no experience and that's a whole different conversation to have another day but yeah they want hail back he didn't get it and he wanted the job it, it, it might be a little bit awkward right it might be and uh, just gonna have to wait and see and if that position opens up so right now they know they need a third base coach and a bullpen coach and i think they also need an infield coach i'm just gonna throw it out there i think john mcdonald makes a lot of sense for um, third big third base coach slash infield coach. Um, it just, I mean, I don't know anything about third base, but if, 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 the, if the third base coach is coaching infield, John McDonald seems like a perfect fit to me. They already interviewed him in the, during the process anyway, and he's been well liked in his time as a coordinator of the organization. If he wants a major league role, it just makes a ton of sense. So I would not be surprised to see him elevated. The bullpen coach thing is a lot different, they have a lot of, um, good pitching minds. I think I've talked about this in the past in the organization. They do. I expect both these, both these roles to be I, the bench coach thing. Who knows? The bench coach thing could be a whole different decision and animal, but I think between third base and bullpen, they'll do internal hires. And I think McDonald's one. I'm not sure what they would do with bullpen. I would throw uh, Brad Goldberg's hat in the ring for that. He, has been a quick riser in the system. He went from being a pitching coordinator. Was he a bullpen coach at another stop at some point? No, his first coaching job was with Cleveland. Okay. So he he just became kind of a, a guy in the system, kind of 
down in Arizona and went to the different affiliates and kind of learned things. And last year he was the pitching coach in Akron. So he worked with uh, Bybee and he worked with Al um, Williams and Cantillo. So he's worked with a lot of the pitch, big, big time pitchers. Um, I think he'd be pretty good for that role. He was, uh, that's what it was. He was the director of pitching development for Ohio state before he came to. Yeah. That's what the, yeah. I knew it was something. And he's a local guy too. He's from, uh, He's from Beachwood, Ohio. So I don't know. I think he might. I mean, they've promoted from with him before. So we'll see what happens there. I think he's at least a name to keep an eye on, if not John McDonald. The the Valleca and Willis thing may, is interesting to me. Not, I'm not surprised by that at all. I mean, Valleca doesn't have the amount of experience that Willis has. So that's that's a very different element to me. Um, you know, they, they kind of went out of their way a couple of years ago to hire Valleca and they got rid of. Um, Van, Van Berkeley. Uh, they got rid of Van Berkeley. Yeah. So I'm interested. I'm very interested to see what what develops there because obviously Valleca was interviewed for the the managerial job too, and who knows what went on there. The Willis thing makes a ton of sense to me. We talked about it last week, and I said they they had him do the exit interviews, and you told me you were like, oh, it's just because they had nobody else. It was the simplest explanation. I thought there was a good chance Willis could come back, and he did. And that makes sense because he's worked with all these pitchers before and they have a young pitching staff. Um, that, that makes a lot of sense, too. Speaking of that, I, I didn't bring this up from the, the vote press conference, by the way. Um, he said that he spoke to Shane. He had lunch with Shane Bieber last week in Arizona. I thought that was interesting that one of the first guys he connected with on the team was Shane Bieber when, I don't know, the offseason could bring a lot of different things. But the fact that his the first guy he reached out to and got to know was Shane Bieber, I found that very a very enlightening answer from him. Yeah. I mean, he's, he is the vet, right? He's one of the few guys who's been around for a while outside of Jose. Is he the longest tenured person on the roster? It's Jose and then it's Bieber. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, it makes sense on that basic level. Um, You know, I, I, again, maybe this is me, uh, you know, being wrong. Like I was about the, the Willis situation, but like, uh, is it, you know, just doing one's due diligence or is there more to be seen there? Um, you know, everyone and their mother right now from uh, other blogs and podcasts are messaging me about potential Shane Bieber trades. So everyone's considering it. I mean, he's a, a well-known name, obviously, but it's like, again, he's a guy who's missed two of the last three years with injuries and had, um, you know, his stuff was down. You know, it, it's it's interesting to see how this develops. It does feel like, like, and especially again, if you look at like trading to a team like, let's say, the Dodgers who need pitching, just as a random team, all they're going to get for acquiring him in the offseason on top of the extra starts is a fourth round pick. So his value, I mean, if you're Cleveland, it might be worth it just to hold on to Beaver until midseason. I mean, there's a chance it bottoms out and then you're just, you know, he walks for nothing. But there's also a chance you can hope for some rebounds. This might be just setting themselves up. And that also gives you some time to see about your depth. See if some of these guys like Cantillo maybe can be ready. So for as much as we all want to jump on the idea of trading pitching, and I've I've been all for trading Bieber because I feel like he is a, a massively distressed asset. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if this is like a way of kind of you know getting to know a player, a player that you kind of assume is going to be there. Because hey, it, is the value of him going to shift that much? If you know. It, there's a chance for a high variance, right? If he comes out and he looks like a Cy Young award winner, 
which he hasn't shown in a few years, value goes up and you're going to get more than you would get right now. If he comes out and is the guy he was last year, value drops even more. And, you know, they, then you're looking at a situation where it's salary relief, much like old friend Ahmed Rosario, because I don't know how much you get for a Bieber if he's pitching how he was at the start of the year. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting that he threw out that was the guy he had spoken to. And and if that's the first guy he talked to and there's not a guarantee chance he'll be here uh, by spring training, it's going to be very awkward. I don't know. Maybe it won't be and that awkward. Jose's out of the country, right? So it's like if you want to talk to yeah. him, like, your yeah, guy so there's that in the country. Yeah. yeah. And so there's Craig Albernez, who is going to be the field coordinator. I had a chance to listen to uh, Jim Rosenhaus did a, does a podcast every week or whatever it is, just on the, the interviews and – uh, they played the the vote presser on that uh, that podcast feed too. I think it's just uh, Guardian. I don't know what I don't know what the name is. I have to go back and look. But uh, one thing he noted was Albernez was one of the four or five finalists for the job. I thought that was interesting. He was down to the end, a guy who has very also has very little experience, but also that Albernez and Vote go back a long way. They're friends, and he's going to be the field coordinator. People are probably asking, what in the world? is a field coordinator. What does a field coordinator do? Uh, and it just kind of sounds like it's an everything role. I mean, they talked about, he's going to have his hands and everything and um, he's going to be kind he, he mentioned kind of a conduit between the front office and, and the managers and helping with uh, communication and making sure that the entire organization's on the same page. And so it just kind of sounds like he's going to be a liaison in a lot of ways. He's going to bounce a lot of information between the front office and the analysts to the coaches and the players. And he's going to have his hands in a little bit of everything and help out everywhere he needs to help out. But it's a new role. They created, this is not a role Cleveland's had before. Other, there's other organizations that do have this role. Um, I am not surprised to see Cleveland expand their coaching staff. Like you're retaining some people with experience, but you're also adding to the staff for more voices and more experience um, to handle more things. So there's more individualized tasks. So, you're not burdening one person with everything, especially a brand new manager. Like I'm not surprised. That's why they expanded the staff to have a role they never had before. And um, that that role is going to include some sort of go between, between the front office and the analyst and, and the coaches, which is kind of what Vo- vote did also. It, it, that's the, that's the, uh, what, what was the role he had in, in Seattle um, quality control. It's quality yeah. control. So it's, it's kind of the same role, which is what vote kind of did in Seattle. In addition to bullpen coaching. Nope. Yeah. It's, it's that in-between role. Uh, we are nearing the end of the show. I do want to throw one quick thing here at the very end, just because I got some questions about this on my personal uh, accounts. What is a platinum glove that um, Andres uh, Jimenez got? Well, I'll tell you tomorrow on the show tomorrow. I'm going to do a solo show. So if you want to find out what a platinum glove is and what that all means, make sure you turn into tomorrow's show. I'll also be going deep on the impending rule five roster situation. Thank you all for joining us rating, interviewing, downloading. It helps. Thank you to all of our everydayers and go, go guardians, go.